Welcome to the What's Wrong with Wolfie podcast. This episode is twinned with Sonic the Comic the podcast. Population 2, creating a great amalgam of 90s podcasts to the absolute extreme max. Greetings and welcome to What's Wrong with Wolfie. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich. And I'm Chris. And this time it's the magazines and comics of the 1990s. And at the top of the show, as always, I would like to give a massive shout out to our supporters, Andrew and Tristian. Thank you so much, guys. You are amazing people. And if you would like to do the same, you can join the Wolfie Club where you can join a membership starting from just £1, or you can just give us a one-off donation to the show. Head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Wolfie Pod to see all the options. Now, welcome to another Discusses episode, and today we're going to have a chat on the magazines and comics of the 90s, a magical thing for us as kids, entertaining us with some amazing stories in our comics, and informing us and keeping us up to date on our favourite hobbies through magazines. Pre-internet, this was the only way we could do this, and in this show, we are going to discuss some of our favourite comics and magazines, and we're going to do this with the help of Sonic the Comic's very own, Sonic the Comic, Sonic the Comic Podcast's very own, Dave Bulmer. Welcome <laughs> Hello, to the everybody. show. <laughs> Hello, Hello. Yes, Hello. Sonic the Comic, the podcast. I am not affiliated with the official comic, <laughs> um, because, uh, because I was a small boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome. Um, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, I haven't prepared an answer to that, uh, so I have to think <laughs> about what's been going on with me. Everything's fine. I had COVID a little while ago, but I'm fine now. Excellent. Oh. Great news. <laughs> well, yeah, half not, of it. Not on getting COVID, <laughs> but you know, okay. on, on recovering it from it. That's what I yeah. meant. Yes. Uh, yes, I'm Dave, and I'm from a podcast about one of these comics that we're going to be talking about today, and also general internet silly man. I don't know you guys. Like, no. I've heard bits of your podcast now and then, uh, but hi. <laughs> Hello. 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 The magic of podcasting, where yeah. you talk to people you don't really know, but you're really able to the talk thing. to them. That, yeah, exactly, that's the thing. According to my thing here, you're, you're all called Jason. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, every single one of you is coming through a single feed called Jason. Oh, uh, okay. Well, you're, well that's, that's magical. Mm. I, I never knew it did that. Does that what it does? Because I have a different screen yeah. on my laptop, so all I've got is myself and Jason. I haven't got any all the other guests we've had on. It's, it's not just... a uh, it's not a heavy rain podcast, okay? So no. it's not just Jason everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't cloned myself. Don't worry, people. Aha! Um, uh-huh, so uh-huh, I've done some sleuthing. I've just found out you're called Jason with my sleuthing. I'm a mega detective. I'm a mega detective. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a good one. It's going to be good, um, but. Before we do anything Sorry for else, doxing you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Before we do anything else, though, I have one question to ask. The one that's on the tip of everyone's tongue, the one that's put everyone on the edge of their seat. It is, of course, what's in your glass, Rich? Oh, I'm drinking a uh, citrus rattler from Top Rope Brewery. It's called uh, Shandy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Just- um, yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, the notes say, in need of ser- serious refreshment, yeah, you need a Rattler. That's cream of the crop. Starting with a light wheat beer base, we've added the mega powers of lemon and lime to give you a hit of citrus flavours. Ooh, yeah! 
Dig it. And then, uh, yeah, it's 2.5%, 2, 2 and it says it's best drank while watching Randy Savage versus Bret Hart from Saturday night's main event. Um, 13. So That's yeah. one of the most specific beers we've ever had on that segment. It's yeah. amazing. I'm not a rattle a fan, but this is very, very drinkable. I'm enjoying it. So, yeah, lovely. It, did you say it was a 2.5%? Mm-hmm. That's very low this for you. By far the lowest I've ever had. He's on the shandy, isn't he? But, yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The clue's in the title, I guess, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's, does, does that appeal to you, Dave? Is that, you know? Me? Mm. I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was just thinking about whether or not I wanted to go and get a drink to so that I had something in my glass. That's all I was... Th- that is all I was dedicated... If you said beer, then I'm not interested. Okay. Was it a beer? It was a beer, yeah. yeah. Uh, you see, no, I can't... I don't know what it is about my tongue, but I can't do them. I can't do beer. No, I, I, I know. I've tried... That. I've tried my, you know, my, my dad's one of these real ale, real ale fan guys. He's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I'll try this, I'll try this, he tries whatever the local beer is, wherever he happens to be, he'll try that. But and I always have a sip of his if I'm there. But I, no, I, just, I don't. I wish I'd, I wish I'd trained my mouth that way because hmm. I know there's a rich world <laughs> out there to be had of the for some reason wanting to drink a savoury drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the case. You too could have a brand. A, what was it? A brandy shandy. Shandy Savage. Oh, sorry, Shandy Savage. As in well, Randy Savage. Shandy's a bit <laughs> different to beer, isn't it? That's that's yeah. that's a different thing. I remember, was it Shandy? I th- do you know? I think they used to. I right. This is something I've said for years, and everyone goes, "Are you sure?" And I don't know if this is true or not, but this is as I remember it. They used to sell Shandy at my school's canteen, and really? this is the school from between <laughs> the ages of eleven to fourteen. Are we I am. We're talking Shandy. I I couldn't possibly tell you because I was because I didn't dare get one. I was like, well, I can't, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm only a little boy. I'm not gonna have that. But meanwhile, friends of mine are like, yeah, I've got a, I've got a shandy. I've got a can of shandy. I don't know why. Why it must have just been lemonade or something. I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. kids when you get um, oh, was it cider flavored ice lollies? But it said shandy on it. That was the yeah. thing yeah. on the can, and it didn't say mock shandy, and it didn't say anything like it just. Said Shandy. I uh, maybe it might not be Shandy. It might be another word, but I think it was. No, I, 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 you're definitely right, Dave. Because I remember it myself, and I always remember really? looking on the back of the can and, and like really small lighting. It would say like alcohol hmm. percentage, and it was like zero point zero zero five percent or something. That's right. But that didn't. That wasn't. I. That didn't make me go. Oh, okay. That made me go. What? It actually <laughs> is. It's actually got alcohol in it. And- <laughs> Gary's just come up with a can of it and he's drinking it in front of yeah. me now. This teacher's dinner ladies can see him. Yeah, exactly. Was it, was it, well, I mean, was I, you, I had the same kind of feelings. I'm going to find your school in the good pub guide. Seriously, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Check your dad. He might have it. You know, he might be in his, uh, his latest camera publication. Yeah, the camera maybe. book. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Well, amazing beer, amazing story. Um, I don't know where you want to go from there. Um, let's let's get some questions uh, to you, Dave. And um, um, we wondered if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your gaming history. My gaming history. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my gaming history begins um, sometime in the 1980s. One of my very first memories is squeezing between the slats of a garden fence going round the next-door neighbour's house and sitting down on their sofa to watch them play 
three blind mice and all i remember is these mice going up and down on the screen i've looked this up uh, online and it seems tr- to be true there is a game of three blind mice on some old old machine where the pixels were the size of a car and um <laughs> and it just plays this awful rendition of three blind mice all the way through and i think you're a cat going around a maze or a mouse running away from the cat going around the maze one of them but um so that that, that was where it, that was where it all began and uh, from i was just always interested because to me they were magic games were magic and i came from a time just before they became like something that everyone had in their house normally and i lived through a time where some people did you know what i mean just just when i was at primary school that that was developing so when i was very little they were like it was the equivalent of just being able to command the what was on tv mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. amazing yeah and i so so we got a zx spectrum uh when i was about a five. I always think it was six because I always think of myself as having been already installed in school. But I, actually, I think it was when I was five. There's you know, there's evidence of this uh, that keeps popping up. So it must have been just as I was starting school that we got this thing. And um, and I've uh, if anyone wants to know more about it, I've done a quite extensive video about the first game I ever had on my YouTube channel, which is called Demon Tomato Dave, um, and it's called Dave's first game. And I. You know, if I may say so myself, I, I think it is a good video and you'll quite like it. But it's all about how, in those days, being a small child and seeing these these pixel people, these little mosaic things moving about on the screen, was more than... It, it, there's no way to understand it if you just are like someone who's you know used to more modern games and then you see a an early 80s game now Mm. you go what you do is you go oh those are primitive graphics but that was not what i was seeing i was seeing the most amazing thing i'd ever seen in my life i wasn't fooled into thinking the graphics were like realistic or anything it was it was totally different to that it was like what am i looking at and and couple that with a very young brain and you start to get this idea of the world you're looking at in the screen and therefore maybe the world that exists outside of it where things can be completely sincerely weird in ways Mm. that you've never seen anywhere else which as an adult we just look at it and go oh they just were making compromises because they only had so many pixels and graphical capability as a kid you're like what are they trying to say to me with this weird imagery and um and i just got so into it and, and very quickly we started amassing games either from um you know the the front of we didn't buy many games but from the front of games magazines it would always come with demos uh, <clears throat> loads of crash tapes and your sinclair tapes full of things to do odd things to do with your computer and then weirdly one day dad came back from <laughs> i want to say the pub i don't know <laughs> i don't know where he came back from but he came back from somewhere with this big it has a negative connotation, but we lived in this village that had these three pubs at the centre of it. And um, so, yeah, they, they, everyone was at the pub. And Dad came home with this big carrier bag full of tapes. And it was the most amazing couple of days of my life, going mm. through someone else's world, you know, looking through yeah. these tapes that, mm. that I hadn't... Because when you were that age, you imprinted on each game. You had a, a, a backstory for each game and an identity that connected with your life and why you had it and why you wanted it and this and that. Here was someone else's, and I was going into all these worlds that I did not know existed on the spectrum or uh, at all. And then a few years after that, uh, one of my best, my, well, my best friend at the time got himself a NES, 
and then got himself an Amiga within, you know, about a year, you know, Nez and then a year later Amiga. And then we got an Amiga to follow him. And from then on, it, you know, it was just, we were just, we were digging through worlds. I've said elsewhere that it was like if all of your friends had a Narnia wardrobe in their house. And in those days, it wasn't like, you know, everyone's got a PS4 or an Xbox and you and everyone's got FIFA or whatever. No, in those days, everyone had something else and they had everyone had different games so you would know which friend's house to go round to visit what worlds and it was so that's my gaming history i am basically in my heart amazed by games mm-hmm. and i don't know why we're talking we're not, we're not it's not a games episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fine it's fine it's really interesting um like it was really cool that you, your first one was the zx spectrum mm. um, and i think that was probably one of my first experiences of video yeah. games as well where my brother bought one and um i think the two biggest games that i played on that were uh manic minor mm-hmm. and um some other random game i can't think of right now but can was... you can you think of is it the name you have struggling with or any memory of it at all yeah it's just gone don't worry uh, this happens to me all the time shout it out very, at any time any time during this episode if you remember it okay. come up with it even if it's a detail or an image i want to know to see if i can guess what it was <laughs> i got it I know what it was. What was it? Gauntlet. Of course. Of course it was Gauntlet. <laughs> Everybody had Gauntlet except for me. I didn't have Gauntlet. I, I it took me years to find out it was called Gauntlet because I thought it was called Gaunclut. Oh, okay. G-U-A-N or G- no, G-O-R-N-K-L-U-T. I thought it was called Gauntlet because, of course, my friend who had it was like, have you got? Have you played Gauntlet? No. Gauntlet? Yeah, Gauntlet. And that, that I just misunderstood him. Yeah. Yeah, no, fully again. It might not have been until I went to university and the and the like the pool room, like the the what do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? The room that everyone could the common room had oh, yes. this this machine in it, which was like I think it was like a it was like a I don't a main cabinet or something. It was just like an arcade cabinet, but it had loads of different games in it. And yeah, one of them was Gauntlet, and I remember looking wow. at it and going, Gauntlet, of course! <laughs> in your commons room well well it may not have been mame and this would have been i don't even know if they had mame this would have been like 2000 whatever the, whatever you had in those days wow. and it was Still. quite I, well i can tell whatever it was it was an arcade cabinet that had a menu and you could select loads of different games nice. one of which was super mario brothers um but it <laughs> um but it was old so the colors were all wrong and everything was pink and purple so whatever it was it had been there for a, a time mm. wow wish i knew what it was What's your uh, what's your go to character for Gauntlet though? Don't ask me. I haven't played it. <laughs> Whoever it was that had Gauntlet, was it you? I played it. Yeah, I was always the uh, archer. But Bridge, did you ever play Gauntlet, or was that? Um, I recently played like five minutes of Gauntlet Legends on the Dreamcast. <laughs> like, it wasn't wasn't really my bag, so I was like, eh, I'm move, moving on to something else. So yeah, but cool. but I ought to say since you've asked me about games that um the reason why i'm here is that a big shining light during this uh was when sonic came out and that mm-hmm. was and i was mm-hmm. a dizzy fan at the time which was a dizzy which was a spectrum thing well it was all it was all the computers but i had i had it on the spectrum and so it was the thing about dizzy was that it did you wouldn't know it to look at it now but it did elevate spectrum graphics quite a lot over or at least the ones at magic land the ones i was into not so much the first one but quite away above things like Jet Set Willy, which were the old vanguard of, of Spectrum games that people were used to, Chucky Egg and things. Mm-hmm. Dizzy 
Um, all the egg-based Spectrum, all the most important Spectrum games got eggs in them. Dizzy was, um, it was like this a, a successful, I think, attempt to present a sort of almost like a next generation of Spectrum game, something that looked more like a cartoon. And so to go from that and sincerely, you know, thinking like, look at this, this is great. And then seeing Sonic, which was just mm. miles above anything else that was going on at the time, it was incredible to look at. And just seeing it, you know, I only ever saw it in a shop or I think round one friend's house one time. Like, I couldn't believe what I was looking at at all. And that mm. stayed the case through through the Mega Drive era of Sonic. And so during that, they started... And I didn't have a Mega Drive because they were expensive and we mm. just didn't have one in that house. I got one eventually, but not for years. And... But what I could do is I could read the comic that started coming out. And I got so into that right from day one, from before day one, because I had a preview uh, issue that came stuck to a, a Thundercats comic. Uh, no, sorry, Thunderbirds comic. That's the opposite of Thundercats. <laughs> <laughs> the, the prey of the Thundercats is the yeah. Thunderbirds. And, um, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this is what I want. I remember saying out loud when Manana gave me the comic, like, oh, this is exactly what I need. And she probably thought I was weird. That was weirdly grateful of me for this Thunderbirds comic. But no, I meant the next thing that was coming. And I got so into it that I kept every issue and I've still got them all, and they're all in pretty good nick. So me and my friend Chris McFeely, who does um, a YouTube series called Transformers The Basics, just decided to start a podcast because we weren't satisfied that anyone was right about this series. Like, people on the internet would refer to this British Sonic comic as this oddity that was like, oh yeah, and then over there in Britain they did this little thing where Super Sonic was different and it was a bit different. And we were like, no, you don't get it. This thing outsold everything else in the industry for a while. Like, I think it outsold 2000 AD at one stage. It was the hot ticket comic in the UK. And it was a tie-in with the hot ticket game in the UK. And it was a darn sight better than what they were doing in America with Sonic. (laughs) Then or since, up until it got revitalized, you know, relatively recently. And, um... So we we were like, no, everyone's wrong about this. We need to make something. We need to make a podcast. And this podcast needs to properly chronicle what this comic was like. So that's why I'm here. I've been invited here as as a representative of Sonic the Comic, the podcast. And that is why it was relevant to ask me about games, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's... I'm going to hold my hands up now. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you know. No, fine, fine. Um, And that's... I've never read Sonic the comic. That's fine. That's normal. Most people haven't. <laughs> normal people haven't. But unless I don't know how old you were, but it's weird if you didn't read it if you were my age in the night. If you were like between about seven and thirteen in the nineties and you never mm-hmm. read Sonic the comic, that's a bit weird. Yeah, I was there from issue one. I mean, I used to get it Wee. every other week on a Friday night on the big shop with my parents. So, yeah, always picked there you it go. up. I've still got my pin badge somewhere um, and yeah. the oh. big yellow paperclip as well. So, uh, well, it wasn't a paperclip; it was a belt clip. Belt clip. That's the one. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, oh, kind of. It, it, when did it come out? Ninety-three, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I must have been about fourteen. Oh, okay. That's so. That's too old then. Fair enough. Yeah. I yeah. think you'd have got on with so, maybe the yeah, first couple have. of issues because it had like 
Streets of Rage and Golden Axe yeah. and stuff in it that I think you might have quite liked, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, for the Sonic stuff that yeah, leads it. Yeah. Not being funny, you know, like even listening to your podcast, and yeah. you know, I'm a 43 year old man now, yeah. and I've recently just found them all on archive.org. Yes, I'm very tempted to just go back and read them. I mean, if you, if you, why not? While you've got idly, if you're listening to a, an episode of my podcast, why not? Why not mm. throw it up and have a little look? Um, but uh, that's not a requisite that anyone <laughs> we wouldn't we wouldn't dare to imagine anyone would do that. We can't. We're not. We're not. We're not even. We're, we'd like it if our podcast makes more people read the comic. Mm. Yeah. But frankly, we'll settle for people just listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's um, like. I think um, your latest episode, and you're mm. talking about um, I can't remember the name of the title, but like the going, the, you're going back to the origins of Sonic. That's right. Um, but it, as a Sonic fan, it was really interesting to hear you talking about that, oh, yeah. and makes me want to go back and read the comics because it's like I've always kind of wondered. I've always always had these questions about sonic and knuckles and tails and, and mobius and the and the whole world and you know how sonic came to be and robotnik and, and everything else in this world yeah um but obviously in the games they never really go back and tell you an origin story about this stuff and then, no they don't know and there's no need for them to but the fact is that just something about the market at the time something about the way games all you know all it, all games in those days came with a little story in the booklet mm. so it was it was assumed you would write a story for, like here's how it started this character was walking along one day when evil wizard da, 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 da. but with sonic they came up with a belter of an origin story like a real like yeah i liken it to the spider-man one and i liken mm. having no having a sonic with no origin I compare to the first two, you know, Tom Holland, Spider-Man films. I haven't seen the third one. I understand maybe they address this in that. But, like, th- we had so many years where the MCU were going, here's Spider-Man. And wasn't there always that uncomfortable question about, like, well, yeah, but who is he? Why aren't you telling the story of him? Mm-hmm. Like, I know we've seen it already in a couple of films, and that's the real reason why, because everyone's sick of seeing it in films. But he does need to have an origin story and it's weird that he doesn't right now and that's how i feel about sonic it's not necessary franchise wise but the one they came up with was so good and explained everything in the game so well you know right down to the fact that there are little tv uh, computer monitors dotted around the world all of that stuff yeah that it's silly to me that sega just stopped caring about it which is always framed by the way as they never knew because they were off in japan or Sega of America are more powerful than Sega of Europe, who were doing their own thing, and they had the 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 Doctor Kinterbor, Sonic's <laughs> best friend, turns into Doctor Robotnik story. But no, that was an American story. That was a Sega of America story that was invented by the people who were like involved in developing the game, um, because it was a something of a co-production. It was mostly made in Japan, but there was feedback and input, and um, and it was on. You know, as late as the end of the of the nineties. Well, up until I think it was nineteen ninety nine, when the Dreamcast came out and Sonic Adventure came out, and was the first time that they sort of openly ignored all of the backstory. Until then, it was on the official Sega dot com website, the American mm. website. That was the story. Of, it was right there. You know, it was on the, the top, the banner at the top. You could click the origin of Sonic, and you could read about Doctor Kinterbor and our stuff. And it's very annoying to us that all of that stuff is not just forgotten or or abandoned by 
Sega, which is their prerogative, and they can do that in the same way that the MCU did that with Spider-Man for the longest time. But it's treated like it's stupid that any of us cared about it ever. And it's like, no, no, that was the story. That's what Sonic the Hedgehog is. And as it happens, yes, it was very heavily represented in this comic. So we are we we lean on that in mm. our show, and it got me excited to yeah. to learn that there's these stories being mm. told um, about this kind of stuff. And well, if you want the quick version of it, um, our eighth episode. Episode 8 is where they first... uh, Issue 8 is where they first tell the story in Sonic the Comic. And we, on our podcast, just... We'd never did this before or since, but we just made an an audio drama version of it. And um, I actually... Well, I say we. I did it in post. (laughs) I cut it together myself because what I was doing was... You know, me and Chris now and then will read out lines from the comic and we'll put a voice on now and then where it's it's relevant. And I just realised that I had this recording of, like, Chris doing Sonic's voice, because he does a fairly decent uh, mm. Jaleel White, and um, uh, and me doing Robotnik's voice. And I was like, well, wait, what if I just add some sound effects? And then before you knew it, in uh, in the editing phase, it became this full-on, like, audio drama that that is quite involved. So, yeah, if you want to know what the story is, that's a very comfortable, easy way that you can go away and find it out because we wanted to make sure everyone listening knew it so we we made sure to represent it very clearly. Um, So yeah, episode 8. And you can do that, you can be doing your ironing and you can find out about (laughs) that. You don't have to spend any time on it. Funnily enough, I do actually think I was doing my ironing when I listened to that episode. (laughs) So... so, um, Not even a lie. Uh, But I'd also say that robotic impression is just top-notch. So, bravo. I love yeah, yeah, I love the impressions and the voices you do in the podcast. They just um just make me smile. <laughs> in a well, good way. Well, there's, there's a lot of fun little lines and you have to read them out and what, if you can do a voice for it, why not do a voice for it? Exactly. Yeah, but it, and, it, and it helps. It helps yeah. the listener to um imagine the the story what you're trying to trying to say in the podcast anyway. So Yeah, it's it, not now we don't for, for anyone listening who hasn't heard this. We don't dramatize them all that's not what the podcast is we're just talking about it and and sort of going into detail about what it was like to be a kid in that place then so that you've got the context for it so we put all coco pops adverts on and things like that mm-hmm. but um um yeah no it was just that one issue the rest of the time now and then if we just need to read out a lot it's just, it's just it's normal to i don't know what it is about me and chris but if we're reading a bit and robotnik says something we'll be like and then robotnik says i don't get you know we'll just do the voice mm-hmm. um but Chris is good at them, and uh, and I'm all right at them. So that sometimes I'll uh, in the editing I'll separate them out in stereo and make and it'll sound a bit like you're in the room with the characters sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really cool. Um, but you've already answered about another four mm. questions I had in my mind for you. So, <laughs> um, well, what's um like all the all the comic? Oh, sorry, all the issues that you've covered so far. Yeah. Is there been like a a particular story that has you know been your more or like mm. a story you've forgotten and it's just come to come back to you and it's just been a revelation to you at all? Um, no, really, because I because I've I've remembered it fairly well. Well, <laughs> well, it's. I remember them as they come, if you see what I mean. I have I have this general sense of like, oh, then it's it's this in a bit and it's that in a bit. Um, I suppose I tell you what, actually, yes. One of the one of the sort of revelations is that when I was a stroppy teenager, 
um, when I was a kid, I just thought it was all brilliant. But when I became a stroppy teenager, um, I started to like decide exactly what I liked. And what I liked was the the uh, the stories by Nigel Kitching and Richard Elson, who's the writer and artist respectively, um, who did the sort of what you might think of as the the sort of the ongoing epic stories. And then the other main writer, who is a great bloke, is called Lou Stringer. And uh, and he's a, a veteran of UK... He's a cartoonist more than a writer. Um, well, I don't know if that's fair, but he's, when people who know who he is, they think of him as someone who draws. Um, unless they're Sonic fans, in which case they think of him as someone who writes. I think. that That's my, that's my impression of him, anyway. But um, uh, his stories were kind of the... Um, the secondary ones, because he tended to be put on like, well, you do something with some jokes. You do something for the younger kids. And so as a stroppy teenager, I, I thought like, oh, I, I don't really need those stories. And I'll read these epic Nigel Kitching stories. Well, we found that um, certainly earlier on um, in the run, when Lou was writing um, some of his first few runs of stories, his first couple of years, he was writing the epic stories as well. And they are absolutely brilliant and he's got this so he's at the moment we're we're reading the reason i say this is that at the moment we're reading the brutus stories which are about this guy robotnik builds this big robot that he copies his own brain into so there's this huge metal tank of a man who's called brutus and you don't need to know much more to know where it's going like he's trying to overthrow robotnik secretly and those stories are so good and he has this extra skill which is that because he's a gag strip guy and he's been doing things like tom thug for donkey's years he is a master of the art of fitting stuff into a a a small amount of pages fitting a lot of stuff into a small space and not seeming like he is not not the the resulting script doesn't feel crammed into the pages so he can write a, a five-page script that feels like because the because the strips in Sonic comic they're seven pages for Sonic at the start and then everything else because they run different characters or or adaptations of different games is five pages long and there's like four of these per issue. Well, he can do a five-page story and it'll feel like a ten-page story, and he can do a seven-page story and it'll feel like a full twenty-page issue or something. He can just fit stuff in. He's a master of pacing, and as a result of that. And just his ideas are good as well. And so um, I'm like, oh, I should have I should have paid way more attention to mm-hmm. these stories than I did when I was a kid. And so the revelation there is essentially that like STC is, is better than I thought it was. But the revelation everybody else has when they read it, if they didn't know about this beforehand, is Mark Miller's adaptation of Streets of Rage. That's the big thing that comes up all the time. Streets of Rage, the big walk-along-y, punchy like hard kids game almost at the time like <laughs> yes. it was do you know what i mean it was it was a a, a fighting game uh, what's the word a brawler where you're walking along and the streets and punching and mark miller who wasn't quite mark miller yet i think he was only about 24 or something like that but he um he wrote an adaptation of that game that was everything you'd want it to be everything that a boy in the 90s could possibly dream for of an adaptation of streets of rage it's exactly like watching a kind of like tough cops movie from the 80s right up to like people get executed people get a gun to the head 
there's a guy d- drowns in lava and sort of oh, you can see the fire coming up through his mouth there's like they they nearly swear and then they just stop after the first letter things like that it's like there's this whole thing about corrupt cops and like this drug lord's factory getting but it's that he doesn't hold back at all it's mm. like he doesn't know he's writing for a children's comic about sonic <laughs> the hedgehog at all and it's and you know i think mark miller is someone who goes to excesses that i don't enjoy and don't approve of but in this case, when he was reined in, presumably by editorial to a certain degree, or knew that there was only so much he could get away with, he uses those boundaries and and pushes against them, and it's so fun. Yeah. It's great, and we we cover all of that in in on our podcast, and yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun. I think that was the um, uh, the other part of when I started listening to your podcast, and you were talking about Streets of Rage strips mm. and the. Echo the Dolphin, mm-hmm. um, and and all that kind of side to the comic as well. And I thought, oh, beautiful really... comic Echo. Um, sorry, beautiful comic Echo. It's all yeah. painterly and wildlife and nature. It's made totally different. Yeah, um, and that got me intrigued in it as well because to hear that you know they've created new stories in these in these different worlds yeah. as well, yeah. um, just made it kind of just makes me even more intrigued to go back and and read read these stories. It's so good. We were we were so lucky. It was exact. This is why we're so passionate about it, and we genuinely are. We're not not like <laughs> look at this. Like we're properly yeah. passionate about it because think of what it was. The, Sega had taken over the the UK games market at the time, so they were like console game. They were the, they were the cool gaming at the time, and out comes this comic that's part comic but part magazine, and it's got games reviews in it, and it's got like just just news updates and you know now and then a, a pop band will lean in because they've been sponsored by sega to say that the game gear is all right or whatever <laughs> but um and so there'll be a little feature about that and so it was like this it was like a kids games magazine in a way it was it was the format was same as 2000 ad but if there were also sort of articles between the comics and these articles were genuinely interesting and you wanted to read them and of course, looking back, of course, for us to do now, it's even better because at the time you're like, oh, okay, what's you know, um, what's uh, Chris? What's the fellow from uh, the Big Breakfast? Chris Evans. That's got oh, yeah. the same name as Captain America. Yeah. Well, here's Chris <laughs> Evans promoting some Sega event, um, and he doesn't seem to know much about video games, and he seems to be admitting that here on the page. But at the time, you're just like, oh yeah, it's him off the Big Breakfast. Yeah, fine. Now we get to go right, you lot. I'm going to tell you about the big breakfast. <laughs> and we had to do a feature about here's what this was. Here's what the context was. And so it becomes like this podcast, I understand, is where it's like, yeah, but here's what, what there was. Here's what we had. Here's what there was. And you'd never, like, the it, it, there's no bigger cliche than someone my age or your age waxing lyrical about how better things were. But there's nothing like this now there's absolutely nothing that i'm aware of perhaps there is but i do not think there's anything like this getting made now and frankly it was weird it got made then because they didn't do it for turtles and they didn't do it for transformers they came close for these things mm. these were there were popular comics for both of those but they didn't have that like pop culture window feel to them where you're also getting this news and reviews types do you know what maybe they did i wasn't a big reader of either of those i don't think i've ever read the transformers comic chris will probably be jumping up and down if he ever hears this but <laughs> that's my understanding and, and there really wasn't much like it yeah i think you've hit a nail on the head there because when i when i had kids 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, as the way they were growing up, um, I kind of wanted them to uh, read the kind of comics that I had mm. when I was their age. But I've really struggled to find anything. It was all just like CBB's magazine. Yeah. Or, well, when was that? What sort of era was that? Um, well, my youngest is 11. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My oldest is 14. That, yeah. So, ex- yeah. I knew that. That's what I knew you were going to say because that. That was exactly the time when there was the worst dearth of that of comics in the UK. Like the yeah. the industry just collapsed, and it and it happened because um, just people like uh, Smiths and the uh, uh, the supermarkets they um, they hiked up the price of shelf space mm-hmm. um, because I thought you know when I was a kid I just thought if if a comic or magazine is popular enough then the shops want to sell it, and I'm sure there's an element of that, but. No, with comics, it, well, the, you have to pay for the shelf space, whatever happens. And that is why comics went from what we knew, which was, you know, part, forget about things like Sonic the Comic. There were some things like that, and there were tie-in things with uh, various franchises. There was a Ghostbusters comic. That was another one. There was um, 2018, things like that. But then there were the the comedy comics. There were the gag strip comics, the sort that, that Lou Stringer did that I was talking about. And B- Beano and Buster and things like that. I was yeah. a Buster kid. I loved it. I loved the Beano, all of that. And those just all disappeared, apart from the actual Beano itself. And that's why they all ended up disappear, shriveling into those plastic bags full of plastic guns yeah, and, pretty much. Th- and yeah. toys and things. Because that was the only way they could make enough money to sell a, a, a content printed on paper at all, is if they could convince harrowed parents that for a couple of quid, <laughs> you can get your kid a bit of tat and it'll be a toy and they won't shout at you for a toy today um there you go there, there's that and so that yeah they they put a comic in that bag or they put a magazine that had a couple of pages of comics in, but it was worth i'm very happy to say that those days are over though it's all starting to come back if 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 there is a child in the land who is not subscribed to the phoenix then that needs to be rectified. The Phoenix is the most wonderful thing in the world. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've it, not heard of it, no. Oh, it's incredible. It, it 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 does not, but it might as well refer to the you know the name the Phoenix, the revival of the British comics industry because it is. It's a, now it's subscription only. Okay. Uh, but the first, so oh, actually, I think you can find it in certain Waitroses and certain Smithses. But generally speaking, it's a subscription model. But oh, you should subscribe to it if you've got kids. It's incredible. It and and I would say, yeah, I think even that fourteen-year-old, I think there's something for them. Mm-hmm. Um, first four issues are a pound at the moment, I think, something like that, and it's out every week. And it is, it's like a marriage between the old Beano style or Buster style and. You know, a Shonen Jump or something like those when we when we would hear when we were teenagers about how oh in Japan they have comics that are like ongoing stories, it's that and it's gag strips and it's all of the above and every there's not a dud one in it and it's huge it's this gargantuan I don't know how many pages it is but it's flipping loads and it's every week and the stuff and you can get you, you if you if you worry that you've missed some stuff there's also trades book uh, you know books that they've brought out of the old stuff and it. All, I, I can only tell you that it's flipping brilliant and don't believe me put down the one pound and get those four issues it's so good and then on top of that I'm to understand that like Monster Fun might be starting to be a regular thing um, Monster Fun was one of the uh, you know strip the gag strip comics that used to be out 
Um, I'm holding in my hands right now an issue of it. Um, by the way, I ought to announce my bias here. My wife is in all of these things. She is a comics artist. Ah, okay. oh, wicked. That's really cool. Okay. And No, it is really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Really and it's cool. Ama- Some of the people that she gets to work... Tom Patterson is in Monster Fun. That's the guy who used to draw Calamity James. Wow. You remember him. He's in this Monster Fun. And I'm, I'm holding a, a one-off special that came out a little while ago, but... I think I heard that it's going to be regular, and I think you know I'm not privy to any insider information, so I'm fairly sure that that's something I'm allowed to say on the air. And it's um, if that happens, if I'm right about that, that's another one. It's all it's starting again. Mm. It's coming back. Yeah. And the get get yourselves a subscription. It don't matter if you haven't got any kids. Put your one pound <laughs> down. You're going to love those first four issues. I won't make you buy any more, but get those first four issues. I'm there. I think it's I'm there. I'm, I'm on the website right now looking yeah, at it. I'm doing the same. It looks yeah. really, really lovely. It's so good. <laughs> the, the so, off- yeah, that's what the Phoenix is. The, the, the offer expires on the 31st of December 2045. So, we're oh. all right. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's six issues. You get six issues for a pound. Six? I six. It was four. That's no, amazing. Six. Okay. Six. Okay. Even Wait until. Quid, cost 30 yeah. quid a year. It's not bad. No, it's. No. And I. I've read this. It you'll be on the edge of your seat for the next issue every week. It's flipping brilliant. <laughs> You're selling it, Dave. You're selling it, mate. It's good. <laughs> and I don't work for the Phoenix, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, I benefit from it because my wife does. But I said this before. This is the thing. My wife, she, I, 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 I don't know. If I, I don't want to speak for her, but certainly my ambition was for her to get in the Phoenix and has been for years. And I think that was her ambition as well. It was something that we both really wanted for her. And yes, she got in eventually and it was like, yeah, it's it's so good. <laughs> yeah, all good, mate. Yeah, that looks wicked. Um, so uh, if, if if I sound distracted, it's me ordering the Phoenix. because <laughs> you're reading comics. the Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Um, okay, I have one more question to ask okay. be- before we get into the mags. Yeah. Um, and that is... Um, I mean, like it—it it could be a very generic answer, uh-huh. but you know, I'm intrigued on what your favourite character is from Sonic the Comic. Yeah. Um, let me think. Because, because the problem is, it's probably just Sonic. Yeah. Because he's yeah. really cool. That's what, that's what but, I was uh, no, uh, no, the most, <laughs> the most, the second most exciting one was when Knuckles came in. That was the moment where it went from like because nothing had changed up till that point. Like when when the comic started, it was post Sonic Two, but pre Sonic Three, and we didn't know what was coming, and we didn't. So that that was when it, it was really in the zeitgeist of when you know when Sonic Two was the biggest when Sonic was the biggest it ever was was Sonic Two, um, and so it was Sonic and Tails and Robotnik, and they had random adventures and blah blah blah. And the comic might not have lasted very long if it wasn't for the fact that they brought out Sonic Three, so they were able to bring Knuckles into the comic. And just the kids these days, right? They will never understand how, unless they listen to Sonic the Comic the podcast, how exciting the addition of Knuckles to the series was because it wasn't just a random new character. It wasn't just oh here's someone else. Do we like him? Do we not like him? No. It was like, here's someone else. Like, that, it, 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 almost more than when Tails was introduced, because it made sense that Sonic would have a Robin. Do you know what I mean? There's got to be a sidekick, and here's Tails. But then here comes this 
what, this rival, this villain, this guy who's all spiky and strong, and he can he can punch Supersonic so hard that the Chaos Emeralds get punched out of him, and he turns back into Sonic. What the heck? What? Who's this? <laughs> and then he comes into Sonic the comic, and his introductory panel was exactly what it should have been. Sonic's running along, and then he just... His face hits a fist. This fist comes out, and it's a dedicated panel to this fist hitting Sonic's face. And that was the introduction of Knuckles. It was amazing. And not only that, it kicked off a, I don't know how many issues long run. It might have been as many as 20. I don't know. You'll find out by listening to Sonic's Comedy Podcast. But it was, no, it won't have been that. No, it wasn't 20. But it was a number of issues, 10 or 15 or something, that covered Sonic 3 and then Sonic and Knuckles. So it might have been 20 issues. And might have been more. And it, the thing about that is that those two games put together actually had something of a, a plot to them because they were experimenting in that game with, like, you know, wordless storytelling and environmental storytelling and things like that. And so they were telling a story. And so give that to this scriptwriter who's already starting to tell bigger stories and, and a, a bit more sort of multi-part, more epic-feeling ones. And that just becomes this incredible, incredible story that's by far the one that people remember as like the highlight of the of the whole series, um, which is all about this death egg, which is a Death Star gag that that Robotnik launches. Except the comic, the, in the game, like in Sonic Two, there were there was this there was a death egg zone, and like I guess because you were expected to just get the joke, they never showed you it unless you did the cheat and you found the sound test. In which case, you got a little tiny picture of this ball with these instead of the one circle on it, like the Death Star, it had two and a mustache. <laughs> it was really good. It was funny, but in Sonic Three and Knuckles, they like took it seriously weirdly enough they kind of made it really epic and this huge thing so put it into a comic and now they're making incredibly epic and they took it really seriously you know for the for the tone of the comic and uh so that was great so yeah probably the introduction of knuckles but there was one character who was introduced who i was so excited about maybe more even than knuckles that i remember just pacing round and round outside the house unable to contain myself all morning on the morning when I was going to be able to go and get that issue when that character was finally revealed and actually in it rather than just being teased and I am not going to tell you who that is because it hasn't actually appeared yet in the strip uh, it's it, I don't know how soon it'll be I guess it'll be it you know it actually might be this summer Ooh, uh and if not then it's next summer so yeah wait and see with that but uh yeah there was they didn't they did the hits didn't stop coming sonic the comic was brilliant and that's why we make this podcast to get the word out that there's more to it than just supersonic was evil and that's weird (laughs) and robotnik used to be thin and that's weird no it was a good comic yeah yeah no and it's working um even from what I've listened to, it's um, it's already made my uh, opinion of it change. So, <laughs> right. So you're done. You're doing well, mate. You're doing well. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's get into our uh, magazine or comic choices. And uh, what we've done, we've all just chosen a, a magazine or a comic from the '90s that yeah. was um, one of our favourites, or we've got some fond memories of reading um, about and. Uh, why don't we come 
Why don't I know we what I'm going to say. Yeah, no, let's come to you first, then Dave, as, as the guest. Um, oh, okay. Uh, and find out what your what, what magazine or comic that you chose. There is one when people if, when people ever ask me like what has inspired you because I make comics as well, and whenever anyone asks like oh what what are your influences or whatever like I've got two answers a TV series and a comic and nobody has heard of either of them. And my comic, and tell me if you've heard of this, because it'd be lovely to know someone who did. It was called The World of Wim. Do you know what this is? Vaguely. W-Y-M. Wim. Hmm. Okay, so this was a comic. Uh, It was published by Clearmark in 1990. I don't know if it stretched as far as... uh, No, it didn't stretch as far as 1991. There was only six issues of it. There was only supposed to be six issues of it. or, Or rather, it was a closed story. And... It is a... It's an amazing thing. You know, I was just talking about how unlikely it was to get a Sonic the Comic and how there wasn't anything else like it. There's... I've never heard of anything else that follows the, 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 the model that Wim was. It's like a creator's dream come true, and it's like a child who wants to read comics' dream come true. And here's what it was. So, the story of the world of Wim <clears throat> was that there was this, uh, there was this girl who was being babysat by her older brother, who is a punk. And he's got, <coughs> excuse me, he's got a purple mohawk and a pierced ear and a leather jacket and a, uh, he's got a badge of an angry face and things like that. And um, so he's meant to be babysitting his sister, but he's, rub- he's, he's rubbish at it. He doesn't babysit her. He's just, I don't know what he's doing. He's off drinking or something like that. <laughs> so she's more or less left on her own. But, but she is very well behaved and so it's fine you know she's sitting in her room doing her homework at which point an elf explodes out of the toilet and <laughs> just fills her house up with crazy magicness you know what i mean like the the fact that he's there is incredibly disruptive and it's like one of those things where you know the the kid has to hide from the family that there's et's living in their bedroom or whatever you know what I mean? it's that sort of thing so there's things flying around there's pac-man ghosts coming out of the atari and flying through the air there's records playing themselves there's lightning magic everywhere and the brother comes to investigate gets hit by some of the magic and he turns into a little teddy bear but like an alive teddy bear, but a teddy bear. And so she's like, you've got to fix, you've got to put him back. And the elf goes, oh, all right, but I've run out of magic dust because I was having so much fun. Because he is like the elf equivalent of the brother. He's a like a punk elf. And he's got a leather jacket or something. And he's like, you know, he's a tearaway. So he has to, so they're like, oh, all right, we'll have to go back to the world of whim then to get more magic from the center of the volcano at the heart of the world and they all go down the toilet and <laughs> and then they go on adventures and there's six issues of these that's the first issue and then there's five more adventures of like just uh, of issues of just adventures in this world but the thing about it that makes it impossible just a, a dream come true is that it was literally just cover to cover this story in kind of the American mould, where you can expect to pick a comic up and just read our comic. That wasn't something that I was aware of existing here, and certainly not for kids. Like, you know, the stuff I was reading at the same time, or had just maybe, maybe I'd just aged out of, would have been things like, like Acorn Green and stuff, which, you'll be too old for that. It was a, 
it was a you know semi-educated or just educational probably um sort of magazine with comics in it but they were done in the buttons style where it's for very very little kids but which managed to commission these tie-in uh figures that I've, i'm looking at one now on my shelf and it looks every bit as good as the the muppet babies figure i've got next to it and et figure that i've got next to it. like proper little figures and they were just these little woodland creatures who had jobs and things you know there was a there was a postman mole or badger or something and there was a the things like that and um and a nurse rabbit things like that and uh that's the sort of thing that we were reading as kids. It was mostly mazes and information about what leaves come out in spring and things like this. And then here's the world of Wim, which is just this story. Of, it's a fantasy comic about magic stuff happening, but also it's a comedy. I should say the uh, the credits here. That was uh, Andy Lanning, uh, who's a very well-known uh, inker and artist and so on. He was drawing it, uh, and he was one of the creators. John Carnell wrote it and was co-creator. And then uh, Anthony Williams... Uh, also co-creator and also artist although to my, my understanding is that it was mostly drawn by Andy Lanning but I don't I don't know maybe one of those is the Inca I don't know um, and in there's only one uh, deviation from this cover to cover story about this fantasy story which is that in the middle there was a section of four or five pages of prose but those were also stories set in this world and they knew that everyone was going to skip over them so they weren't vital to the story they weren't like here's the next thing that happens but they were just like the appendices they were like scene setting stuff so you know that in the first issue the story the prose story was about you know what happened to this elf before he exploded out of the toilet and how he got there and what his life was and why he'd been expelled from the magic university which is why he couldn't just go home and get some magic and what was up with that and so there was always this prose story in the middle and that that was that was what it was world of whim um i can't tell you much more because i haven't reread it since i was little i've got i've got it all the reason i haven't reread it since i was little is because um i didn't have the first issue because it ended up somewhere else in the house and i didn't know where and i still don't know where but fortunately for me i was able to find a really good nick um issue one it's hen's teeth this comic you're not going to be able the only thing i've found online about this comic is a blog talking about how difficult it was for them to get hold of it um and uh, although oh they do say that issue one seems fairly easy to get hold of for some reason i don't know why that was the one where everyone uh, i was going to say it was the one everyone wants to sell no it's the one everyone kept they didn't even bother buying the rest that's why and that's probably why it ended after six issues but the world win on issue six introduced me to the concept of the series finale this was the first thing i ever experienced where the last episode was the biggest episode and it was incredible the, the scale of it because they get to the volcano and they get more magic and there's like it's exploding out of this elf everywhere i can't remember how it, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to read it because i know where it is now i keep it with me old comics and i oh i'm gonna have to get it out and read it yeah i'm really gutted i didn't read this i'm very gutted mm. sounds mm, amazing same. it's really it good i can't say imagine it's got um a series finale as great or as weird as yeah. the biker grove one <laughs> <laughs> no it doesn't admittedly no <laughs> um okay really interesting um oh well it, it, i mean is it not available on archive org or, or, or nowhere being scanned I, or i personally haven't found it scanned anywhere and that I realise, as the words leave my mouth, that that means it's up to me as the <laughs> the sole holder of all six issues. 
but it, the thing is, in those days, they printed these comics a bit bigger than a scanner. Mm. That's the thing. It's bigger than A4 by a little bit, so it's very difficult to scan. Certainly, the covers are all right, but once you start opening them up, you're, you're gonna you're gonna ruin yeah. the thing by scanning it. Yeah, yeah. I'd like <clears> to me. though. I'd like to though, if there was a way. Yeah, because I think um, some people who do like scan all the uh, computer uh, game magazine yeah. online, they they literally rip the magazines apart. So oh they my can, god! So they can get. You know, like um, where it all binds together. So you you yeah. can't open the magazine enough to to get the whole page. To get, yeah, 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 because it would, yeah, it would bend at the side, yeah. Yeah, so I think they have to like unbind it. I'm, I'm saying like they rip it apart. I think they actually a bit careful with that, and they, they, <laughs> yeah. they you know, they they unbind it, you know, carefully so that all the pages are still intact, so they can get a full proper page yeah. scan of it. So I, I can imagine you probably don't want to do that to the to, no. to those really. I mean, if I find my copy of issue one uh, that I remember being a bit battered and in much worse nick than the one that I got off eBay, then um, I'll, I'll do it with that. But mm-hmm. uh, no, if anyone if anyone in the Manchester area has a massive scanner and doesn't mind me coming around and using <laughs> it, let me know. There you go. Um, okay, great choice. Great choice, mate. Um, very interesting. Uh, Rich? So for me, I mean... It'd be cheating. I'm not going to pick multiple ones, but I feel like at the time I was heavily into a lot of the uh, Jerry Anderson comics. Obviously, they blew mm. up in the 90s, so I was dabbling with a lot in terms of you know Joe Knighty, obviously, of course, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Stingray. Um, if I picked one, because I know I need to pick one, no, I probably would say Thunderbirds because that was just, yeah, that was the big one. Um, that was the main one, yeah. And it would have had yeah. the biggest budget behind it because it was the exactly. main one and it would have had all the good stuff. All the bells I think what I love they shared in common now, and what I loved it was all the things they had. Obviously, you had the three gifts, but I liked that they had a lot of things like the uh, the blueprints and the, the schematics of like all the craft. Oh, and I cool. always found that fascinating as a kid. Like I yeah. loved it. I mean, I've still got my uh, my Haynes Thunderbirds manual hardback now, um, and that kind of grew out of the comics. I think it was the first time I saw anything like that. In a, in a publication, I mean, I was used to, you know, just your regular comic strips, uh, letters, pages, that kind of stuff. And I don't know, it felt a bit grown up. I felt like, oh, okay, this is, you know, way more involved, a bit techie. And it's kind of felt like good mature reading. Like it was actually kind of good for my brain. Like I was getting, you know, I never got, you know, into engineering or construction, but I felt like, okay, I'm, you know, getting some knowledge here. This is going to be, a, this is going to take me places. Um, I just, yeah, I really, really loved those comics at the time. I mean, I, I love with some something the comic. I, I loved the strips and the stories they told that were obviously separate, not connected to the TV show. Um, it just kind of expanded on the world beyond, you know, the Super Mario Nation that I saw every Friday night on BBC Two. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was obsessed with those. Uh, I remember loving. When that, because of when that came back on, and, and you know, I can't remember when, but it was like you know, mid early nineties, wasn't it? It was yes, it was, it yeah, was when that became big again. And so I was well aware of Super Mario. So when it would always come up saying Super <laughs> Mario Nation, I, was like, oh, look at I that. know, I know. <laughs> uh, but do you think? I mean, do you think there's been like um, anything else that's just had sort of the biggest revival that the Thunderbirds did at that time? I mean, mm. I can't think of anything really that that's come back and really. But it was odd, wasn't it? Because it wasn't. It was by far not the only thing that, even in that time slot, that got. Because I think it was on sort of in like weekday evenings at one point, wasn't it? Thunder. But we used to watch it while we were eating our tea mm. and yeah. Stingray, and um, 
and that was the slot that they would put things like the Adams Family on and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, they were always putting these old things on, and the Thunderbirds one wasn't even done. It didn't feel like a revival. It just felt like, yeah, it's just it's this is one of the things that's always on. And then and then Blue Peter, yeah, and suddenly Tracy it just Island. it. Ju- I don't yeah. know what it was. I don't know. Because, but it can't have been Blue Peter's fault because weren't they only making that because Tracy Island was a big hit toy and they were like, well, it's yeah. not that, we'll make our own. Yeah, because yeah, it was it's... like the most popular toy of the year and nobody could right. get hold of it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So they made one. Right, yeah, because everyone attributes the success of the Thunderbirds revival to Blue Peter and that, that can't ew, be true. Ew. Maybe they don't even do that and I've simply misunderstood. <laughs> If I did, yes, yeah, first I've heard of it. <laughs> oh, well, then I've obviously just misunderstood that. Um, yeah, so I wonder what it was. Like, because it yeah. didn't, it wasn't like, and now, kid, like, it, it was just on. It was just normally, like, I don't think there was ever a time in my life when it wasn't on. It was, it was like Land of the Giants or whatever. It was always yeah, just wow. on. Yeah, I used to love Land of the Giants. Sunday morning, Channel 4. Sunday morning, Channel 4. I thought it was yeah. all right. And then yeah. between series of that, you would get Lost in Space, and that was all right. And you just, what, you just watch it. It was these old things that were on, you just watched them. And then for some reason, we all started care. I'll tell you what, it, uh, if maybe it's similar to why I used to watch it, and maybe this is why it took off, is because it was really, really something that you could watch with your parents. Because yeah. they were already into it from their childhood. Hmm. Yeah. And it was being repeated. So, like, what would it be? It would like if, I suppose it would be like if they put on the, for, for my generation, like the first series of Power Rangers or something. Or like, <laughs> oh, no, no, something more like if Henry's Cat came on or something like that. Oh, and yeah. we'd all, oh, yes, watch Henry's Cat. Let's put this kids in front of this. Because you would, you'd, you know, that would feel like something they'd probably still be basically into. And then you would watch it yourself. And, like, yeah, that's probably why it took off, because all the families were watching it together. Yeah, you're right. I mean, because um, I think that's one of the things um, actually that I, you know, it was that was the appeal at the time of those shows that there was a connection. Because I mm. remember when I was reading like the Thunderbird comics, my dad would make comments, and I rem- remember yeah. even before that when I used to get like uh, Beano and the Dandy, and I actually would give it to my dad, and he'd read it in bed. Oh, <laughs> which I thought was quite sweet. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it kind of obviously had evolved a little bit from his childhood, but. Yeah, all the things were still there. He still had the Bastard Kids and Roger the Dodger. He was in his element. So it was kind of that little bit of a connection. He had something in common with his son that wasn't, you know, crass American Saturday morning TV that he could not yeah. stand. You yeah, know, a yeah, yeah. bit of British. Yeah, he loved, yeah, he loved it. So, yeah, I think that's what was appealing about it. It felt almost like a comic out of time. It felt like, okay, yeah. reading something from, like, the late 60s. It yeah. had that kind of real... Um, uh, boys adventure kind of thing going on i just i loved it because yeah that's what i loved about those shows at the time it had a different spirit i think to what we were watching yeah at I, the time i so. didn't really like those I, I you know i sat through them and we would sing the aquamarina song at school and things like you know still <laughs> really? if anything if anything fits the cadence of the word stingray i'll sing it to the stingray song still but like it was just about some guys, and they were shooting and explosions. It was too James Bond for my liking. Yeah. Um, but compared to some of, you know, you were always grateful for anything watchable that was on at tea time. You know what I mean? Because you could be watching the news, and nobody wanted that. New. <laughs> Indeed not. Indeed not. Not at all. Um, okay. Um, Chris, are you with us? Do you want to um, put forward your magazine choice? Uh, magazine choice. I I wasn't like I said to you guys earlier. I wasn't really a big comic reader in the nineties, but 
I did invest in a small thing called the Star Trek Fact Files when I was a kid. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. So that was the, my main interest back then before the internet and before these message boards and HD screen caps and everything that you get now. It yeah, was, no, the, just... the Star Trek fact file was a, a Star Trek fan wiki, but that you had to purchase in bits and fill yeah. your house yeah. up with. Yeah, and then <laughs> rifle through it to the correct like location and where you're looking for equipment or stuff. And that was yeah. my that was my epitome of nerdishness. That was and and as a yeah, but uh, but it, yeah, but I don't th- I, I don't think it was like that nerdy to be into that because. It was. It's weird looking back that like people, it's sort of in the internet age and in our adult lives, the synonymous with nerd is likes Star Trek. Mm. But when we were kids, everyone watched Star Trek. It was yeah. there couldn't be anything more mainstream, <laughs> if it, except Neighbours. That was the only more mainstream thing than Star yeah. Trek. And like, yes, okay, getting the fact files, okay, that that tips you over into nerd. But I knew a lot of people who got it. Now mm. maybe those people were nerds, but. They, they, you know what I mean? They didn't get called nerds or yeah. anything. It was just a good thing on telly, and so we got the tie-in thing. Yeah, and yes, it was all fictional, you know, but yeah. it was still exciting, and it was still good to read, and the pictures looked nice, and the, the CG artists at the time put great effort into the renders and yeah. different views of set the sets, especially got me as well, because like, you see the miniatures and stuff. But these artists would take these small sets that you never saw the other side of and elaborate on it. Oh, cool. And you're like, oh, so that that bit was behind there. and that, you Oh, know, it's cool. And it allowed you to see the, the shooting set in a completely different way and perspective. And then, you know, you, these guys are vouching me. I've got, I've got this thing about people trying to fit shit into stuff. And it's just like... <laughs> again... <laughs> to quote William Shatner, it's just a TV show. Oh, I see like, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Like, you don't yes. mean you don't mean like. No, not in a literal sense. No, fit things into things. No, <laughs> a weird bugbear to have. Yeah. Oh, look at him over there. Look at him trying to fit that into something. Oh. Yeah. What's what's his problem? He seems a bit down. Oh, he oh, <laughs> he can't fit engineering into the small bay where it's supposed to be. Like, oh, for <laughs> fucks. <sake." laughs> But it was still fascinating, and I yeah. used to read them all the time. And again, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have DVDs, yeah. we didn't have Blu-rays. We couldn't pause anything unless you recorded it, but it was just a great collection, and I still have them in the loft for some reason. Nice. Oh, I bet my parents do as well. Oh, the funny thing about so many of them. funny thing about the Star Trek fact file is that, like, um, if anyone didn't get it, you might not anticipate the way it worked, which is that... Essentially, what they'd done was ahead of time, they'd written a, and p- produced a gigantic encyclopedia of, like, you know, multiple books worth of this thing. And then they released it, seemingly random pages, and they were stuck together, they were glued together, but they mm-hmm. really easily peeled. You just you just peeled them apart, and then you put them in the fact file. So as you collected it, you didn't go like, oh, here's page one, here's page two. No, you were like, here's page 153, here's page four. And you had to flip through it to find where this new page you've got goes. Yep. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I was so young when they first... When did the fact files first start? It must have been 94, 95. Yeah, I would have said around then. And I remember sitting there, and I, at the time, like, I was struggling with like maths and stuff and I was yeah. like my mum and my mum had to help me put it into the right file because mm. you had to put the right numbers so you could yeah it's basically a Rolodex isn't it it's just like 
you got to find a certain thing if you if you see it on TV and you know, oh pause it and then you oh, it's so archaic up, now you think about yeah. it and you're just like <laughs> you got to pause what you're watching or quickly let me just get my massive folder out boom yeah. blow the dust off of it I'm right gonna, where I'm are we look that up yeah. even though even though is it alien tech not, or not <laughs> even though you were never like when you watch Star Trek. You're not supposed to know the stuff. Like they tell you about it in the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And when you when you scroll through it, I remember looking at the one of the first things they released, and I'm like, it was some bio about a planet from the original series on Next Gen. <laughs> and you think to yourself, you see and hear this planet for like ten seconds yeah. on screen, yeah. and you're like, I'm not going to read three goddamn pages on this planet no. that doesn't even exist. No. And I don't think I've ever read them. No. Oh no, that's the thing. Right. I read about the the ships and then you yeah. know what happens on them, but then after that I'm just like I don't care about <laughs> what I did. Ones, I don't I, care about Romulans and <laughs> no. I think I read like you know the first couple, uh, the first one. I would sit and read through that because it's one, you know. But by the time you had ten of them, you're not even consulting it anymore. You know because you know because for one thing, you can't be watching the TV and go like, oh, I'll, I'll find out about how phasers are made or whatever, because you can't yeah. guarantee they've released that one. No, exactly. So there's no point in getting your folders out. And then it just builds up and it builds up. And eventually, and the thing is, I don't know quite what happened. I don't know if it was a misunderstanding between us, but long after I didn't want it anymore, my mum asked if she was allowed to unsubscribe from it. Yeah. And I didn't, I, <laughs> I didn't realise we were still getting it. And I'm like, yeah, yes, I haven't looked at this since issue four. How many have you got? And she had piles of folders of them. Oh, my yeah, God. I think, I think they, they called it a day, like, mid-run of Enterprise. God, because, that was ages really? later. Did it go or maybe, Or maybe That's just insane. on the cusp of Nemesis. Yeah. That's how long they were going for, because I've got an issue, and it's got, I sure remember it had the final issue written on it. It had like a spec on like NX01 and and then some ships from Nemesis. Well, and that's the last I ever saw of it. I'm going to call them on that because they should have written the final frontier on it. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's missing a trick, that is. Big time. Nah, they probably did, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now we have the internet. Now we have the internet. That, oh, I wonder if... No, they'll have thrown them away. I wonder if they've got them. Because they'd still be in the cellophane, most of them. They would never have opened them. Oh, no, they'll it's have gonna be there somewhere, surely. It might be. Oh, the if they were sensible, <laughs> they've chucked it away, but I don't think they will have. The trouble is they're not worth a lot either, because I looked it up on eBay about a year oh. ago, and people oh. are selling like, the whole collection for like 20 quid. But no, oh, okay. one, wants, no one wants it. Because no, no one wants, wants it. Yeah, No one wants it. a metric tonne of paper. <laughs> That's the thing. For something that you can just punch in on Google and get exactly the result you need. Yeah, I mean there'll be collect- collectors are going to want it just for the fact that oh, it existed. Com- yeah, those weird but, completist people. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it's yeah. If, if it's if it ain't worth anything, who cares? They can they can have it for twenty quid. They can come around <laughs> and get it. I'm not posting it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think like you, you touched on like uh, earlier where you said like you got the new episode, uh, new new issue, sorry, and they were all out of sort with different yeah. page numbers everywhere mm-hmm. else, and it kind of made me think about um, sticker albums. In the, in yeah. the, it's the same kind of sense, yeah. really. It's the same it? concept. Yeah, you still got to right, find yeah. where it goes. Um, That's right. Except, except, except with sticker albums, they're randomly distributed, whereas in the in this, it, you know, there was no gambling element to it. Like you got the 
you all you there were no duplicates. Everything there were no swaps. Yeah. And uh, yeah, can you imagine swapping Star Trek fact files pages in the playground. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> With the two other people you ever met who got it. <laughs> like it's a whole cliche of family guy and Simpsons jokes right there, but <laughs> But it, yeah, it's just no like you can't even give them away. I don't think anyone would even want them. No. But like like you said earlier, like the amount of issues I got and I'm like, I haven't seen I don't even know what this race of people are. Yeah, because I did. We didn't have Sky. Yeah. So the only the only time I ever saw like late Voyager and early Enterprise was on Channel Four or BBC. Yeah. On a Sunday or on a Friday night. Yeah, eventually. And I'm like, okay, and then I'll just forget about it and put it like you said, leave it in cellophane, and then just like. The, yeah, the <laughs> you, thing about you lose interest. I became a teenager in between that gaps. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The, well, I mean, to be honest, that was I was a teenager. That was what. Yeah. <laughs> that was why I was into it. But the thing about the Star War, Star Trek fact files was that like you had to just be inherently excited about the concept of every detail of a TV series having information about yeah, it having functionality fingertips. and yeah 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 i remember there was a there was this amazing day i spent on the internet once in, in what must have been about 1998 when i found out that there was this bloke this one guy who had made this incredible compendium of information about about power rangers now that's so far so normal on the internet right like that's that's the sort of thing people do that's a nerdy thing you do but no this guy had gone through every episode of Power Rangers, and and then you know, and that was there was already a few years worth of it by 1998, and he had basically made a massive cross-referenced index of every line of dialogue spoken Ooh. in Power Rangers, everything ever in it, every little weapon, every little suit, everything, but 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 even the tiny details. So like if it oh Billy's Billy the Blue Ranger, he's got a little brother and he does this there would be an entry for that and that would branch off into like here's the details of the thing billy's little brother does in one episode and then it would cross reference with hypertext links um, oh anytime God. anytime that much. anything was connected to anything else <laughs> and there would be references for every episode and like now you kind of expect something almost on that level from something like for example a star trek wiki but those you understand, or at least you hope, are put together by a community. This was one bloke had done this with Power Rangers. And it was just, looking at it now, looking back, I'm like, oh no. Like, what? <laughs> oh no, That's, it's almost scary behavior. But at the time, it was really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, that this information had been collated and that it could be followed and indexed and printed out and it, I don't know. Yeah, but that's that's showing a passion, but without yeah. being overbearing. Uh-huh. That's showing a passion to archive this thing because you're in, you love it so much. Yeah. That I don't find that weird. A lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, really." It doesn't sound weird to me because I've uh-huh. been in that position, and I know people who, again, to bring up you know the autistic spectrum. That right. sounds extremely like something that my friend Reese would do. Right, and Reese would have got, loads of fun doing it. I bet he's got it his would be really for Lord of the Rings, and he yeah. He just, there you go, perfect he, example. He wasn't even born when the Fellowship was released, but yeah. being you know Asperger's, he's obsessed with it. He could mm-hmm. he could tell you at a drop of a bloody wizard hat, yeah, where each thing happened. 
And not only yeah. that, he can also explain the differences between the books and the films and the extended editions. Yeah, of course. And that is someone with such a passion, this guy to do that to Power Rangers. I would never would have thought to do that. Well, and the thing is... But again, because it didn't exist for him. Yeah. He's had to do it himself, and he's getting joy from others getting this information, regardless if some people find it weird or not. Well, no, because with, with, with Tolkien, that's a perfect and very rewarding thing to be focused on if you are mm. that way inclined because it, the information is in fact out there and Tolkien had already come up with it you know from I mean I understand some of it has been filled in later by his son or whoever it is but most of it he already knew before he wrote Lord of the Rings so you can pick through all of his notes and his other releases and his writing and go like oh okay that that random that little glade that you spent two seconds in walking yeah. from that place to that place has this rich history behind it. Here are all the historical characters who ever step, set foot in it, and that's all there for you. It must it must be so yeah. rewarding and engaging and that's, if that's you are that way inclined. That's the great thing with the Lord of the Rings films and yeah. dare I say the Hobbit mm-hmm. is that they had access to all the appendices, yeah, and all the additional notes that he wrote to to back up certain events and stuff like that. And, it's and you get the sense that Peter Jackson was like almost that level into it already yeah. as well. Yeah, like so passionate about this dream project that he's wanting to do and then he gets an opportunity. And, but to have access to all of that is just like, yeah. it's a never-ending pot of stuff. They didn't even <laughs> use all of it either. They, no, they spun can't. it off into different scenes or gave different characters the same dialogue to improve pacing. But yeah, yeah. I couldn't imagine being part of that continuity team writing that screenplay. Well, it's going on now, isn't it? They're working on a TV series, and Mm. and that team, they're overjoyed all the information they can Mm. draw from. All the unpublished notes. Yeah. (laughs) It's mad. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, But let's um, let's just bring it it back around a little bit, and um, (laughs) back to the fact files. And obviously the fact files were part... Well, they were a part work, weren't they? Yeah. They were, you know, yeah. um, right. a, week, a weekly issue um, that was only part of what you was collecting. Yeah. And I mean, they're still quite popular today. Um, but I mean, for us in the nineties, they were uh, just really cool, weren't they? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, it was like after Christmas, wasn't it? Like New Year, they'd all come out. Mm. Was it? Oh. I think it was. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. <laughs> maybe it's just holidays and exercise videos. Okay. I thought it was part works, maybe not. <laughs> but um, they 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 knew how to market these things to perfection in in annoying ways because obviously the first issue would be like 99p. Yeah. With with um, with a free binder. Yeah, with a free binder or the free first part or whatever it is you're collecting or. You got two books instead of one, or some such nonsense like that, just to rope you in for the second issue to be like ten pound. Yeah. Um, but it's, like these, it's like the modern day part part works now, isn't it? Where you collect figurines or ships or yeah, or something like that. It's like you need to be a millionaire just to get like the first year's worth of that and things. <laughs> yeah, I think I was doing when I was doing a bit of research, and like you know, they were they were given an example like you would have to buy. 120 odd issues or something like that to to get a whole collection of whatever it is they were selling you um and if they were like six six eight pound an issue yeah that's quite a lot of money yeah Mm -hmm. it's nearly a grand isn't it yeah um just for what you know some little plastic 
whatever it is yeah. you were collecting at the time. Yeah. You know, as an adult, obviously, we, we see we see through we see through them. We know what they're up to. But as a kid, it was just so exciting just to get these weekly things that we could build up as a collection. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering if there was any in particular that you remember from the 90s that you were particularly fond of collecting. Um, Rich, have you got any at all? Um, a big one for me that sticks out was um, the X Factor, which at the time I was already deeply into X-Files and all things, you know, alien abduction, UFOs. Oh. And it was just a, a part works so that went into things like, um, funnily enough, pandemics, um, Area 51, yeah. Aliens, the whole the whole shebang, ghosts, it was everything. So Oh, that sounds wicked. <laughs> yeah, it was it was, you know, quite mature, but you know, it you had that preteen, you know, intrigue. You just I was just completely just I just hoovered it up. Yeah. I was obsessed, got all the ring binders. I don't recall there being anything in the way of gifts. I think it was purely just there was nothing to build over time. There wasn't mm. like a you know, alien spaceship or anything like that. It was all just it was factual just base just this is information it's an information dump it's just did you get knowledge little, did they give you like a divider or something every now and again um yeah yeah they did indeed yep it was yep other than you know the lack of anything to build it was very much your traditional part work but i just found it to be the most fascinating one um other than that there was one that stuck out to me was um quest as well which was just purely educational like almost like an encyclopedia but it covered a lot of different topics such as science technology construction cities um transport and drugs as well it just did a bit of everything um and i think it was the kind of thing that you kind of could really get past your parents because i'd be like okay this is uh it's yeah. educational yeah this is yeah good um and i think with that you actually got um collectible playing cards as well like a trivia pursuit kind of game um, but all based on, you know, those topics I've just mentioned, such as drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got drugs top trumps somewhere in your house. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, my ketamine has, you know. <laughs> um, more addictive score than your heroin. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, they're the main ones. I mean, I've, other than that, big one for me also was um, How Does Your Body Work as well, which was oh. had an amazing... Um, was it a skeleton? Yeah, you built a skeleton, but you, over the top so. of that, you built the muscle as well. Oh, really? Um, oh, and... sweet. Yes, that's <laughs> familiar, actually. Yeah. And when you held it up to the light as well, if you put it up to like a light bulb, you kind of, I, I don't know what they what they call it again, but like where the light passed through the plastic, it just kind of was red. Almost like you, like you put your hand over a light bulb and it just, you yeah. see all the blood vessels and you can see everything just kind of glow through your skin. It had that wow. kind of effect to the plastic, so... It was really, really cool. Yeah, you had all the organs, everything. Um, yeah, wow. that was fantastic. Yeah, that was a yeah. That was probably my big, my big three was X Factor, Quest, and Nap. So, like just, looking looking forward to the issue where you get a rude body part like a bladder <laughs> or a colon. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, like you know, you know, next week free kidneys. You know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, what about yourself, Dave? Have you got any um, part works that you were fond of, fond of? Yeah, dog. Um, I mean, apart from, you know, obvious nod, uh, doff of the hat has to go to um, the old ones where you would put together a skeleton something, mm-hmm. you know, so like there was a the Tyrannosaurus Rex one or whatever. But um, 
I was uh, well. Okay, so I'll start with a couple of highbrow ones that my mum got to be educational at me. Um, which was there was I bet it was called the Classics Collection or something. But mum would have this one where it would come with a book, and it would you know, and it would be like I mean, so for example, I know that we had the Oliver Twist one because I actually read it. Well, I didn't read it. Mum read it to me, but um, but and it came with a magazine about Oliver Twist so she'd be reading that a chapter a night to me or whatever and in between I could be reading about it in the book I don't know how many of those came out it was a little hardback and everything so I don't know presumably they weren't just on the newsagent shelves like that you probably had to subscribe to it to get it at all I don't know and then similar to that the musicals collection which would come with a CD on the front Ooh, okay. um, and uh, and what they would do is they would get like whatever the cheapest version of any given musical was that they could get their hands on and they would uh, and they would even cut that down so you'd get sort of six to ten tracks on the CD and I remember there was a there was a a Godspell with Darren Day which was a turned out to be a, a cut down version of a, a studio recording that they'd done that year there was a um, there was a My Fair Lady with Bob Hoskins singing oh, I'm getting married in the morning I'm very glad that exists in the world and there was um there was a, but i think they were all existing recordings because there was a when you were listening to them you were like oh they they've just thrown this together for this but there was a a wizard of oz for example which turns out to be a cut down version of um i think i think a broadway revival that because i just found it on youtube when i was poking around and i think it has eartha kit as the witch um which and i wouldn't have known who she was at the time so i didn't know that so i wouldn't have noticed but um so that was interesting um but uh, oh and similar to that by the way oh one that we loved oh one that we loved what was it even called maybe one of you can remember this and could tell me what it was called but what it was was it was basically a way of packaging classical music to kids so again very very worthy middle class hmm. highbrow that's a parent trying to educate their kids right the kids can't think you what i was can't think what i was <laughs> okay well what here's how it worked so they would take the planet suite right holst is that holst no. that's holst yes and they would give it and it would come on a cd and tracks two through whatever how many tracks there are in the planet suite would be the planet suite track one would be the adventures of these two kids who end up traveling through space and it was this dra- this dramatized thing where the two kids it was always the same two kids you knew them from every issue they were like oh wow we've this oh no i've sat on the button and the rocket's taking off now we're going through space you know what i mean and they would have this adventure and the magazine that came with it had that as a story and it was all illustrated with these brilliant paintings that were all kind of i remember them being kind of sort of snazzy and resembling um do you remember there was a sort of a style at the time that was almost looked like textured cut out bits and bobs there was a smarties advert that looked like it at one point yes um and it was kind of it kind of had that vibe sometimes and there was you know so they did um, rhapsody in blue and this was a gangster story that they got caught up in just stuff like that it was pretty cool and and you would get it was it was part works in that you've got a box to put these in and you 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 built up your cd collection or tape you could tick the box presumably it was more expensive you've got cd um but my favourite. Do you guys remember the Ancestral Trail? No. Okay. So the Ancestral Trail 
Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. It sounds more boring than it is because what it sounds like is a, you know, a genealogy thing, doesn't it? Where you're going to trace your DNA back to your family's roots or whatever. No, no, no. Mm-mm. No. What the ancestral trail was, issue 1 came in this kind of a like a binder. It was like this big rectangle made to look like this envelope of secrets. You know, and it looked, you know, with a probably, I can't remember, but probably with a, a, a drawing of a, you know, wax seal on it and stuff like this. And here, here in this thing lie the secrets. And you unfold it out into a map, either that or, the, or a map just came in it. And it had a, an, and it was a, a magazine. And, what, and after, thereafter, it was just a magazine. But this first one came with all sorts of bits and bobs. And it was just the story of this kid setting off on a fantasy adventure and it was uh, well here's I've, i looked up a thing about it and here's a website uh, called theancestraltrail.com here's how it describes it the series begins and ends with our hero a youngster named richard his first trip is to the ancestral world there he learns from an old man named golan that he is the chosen one appointed to save this world from a great evil being known simply as the evil one said evil one has already conquered the ancestral world by stealing six pods from the tree of life and imprisoning six guardians so basically he was just it was just this seemingly endless we're just going to keep doing this as long as you keep buying it ongoing fantasy story (laughs) but it had so much to do in it i remember my favorite bit was so the magazine was always another you know episode in the story and it had these lavish painted uh, pictures. And it was all, you know, there was nowhere in it that wasn't a picture of some kind. The text was printed over in the, in the blank spaces in the pictures. And, but it was all lavishly painted. And they had these two little guys who were called Sh- uh, Shumi and Shubi, I believe. And they were uh, like little rock frog things. They were just like, bo- like they just looked like boulders, but with eyes. And they would hide them. So you had to look through the paintings every issue to find Shumi and Shubi. They'd be in there somewhere, just disguised as a couple of rocks or whatever. Um, that was cool. Uh, the evil one was this really cool, um, sort of like this horrible demon mask-looking thing, and um, and it was really, really horrible and cool. And um, and it came with, and I am holding in my hands right now. A collection of Ancestral Trail battle cards. Wow. Uh, a game called Monster Might, uh, which says copyright 1993. So this is slightly later than I would have guessed, actually. This was contemporary with Sonic the Comic, in fact. And um, I thought that you popped them out of something, but I'm looking at these cards now, and there's no sign of them having been popped out from anything. So I guess they just came either attached to... I mean, in the, with the first issue, they would have been just bunged in the folder. Maybe if there were any more after that, they would have ended up... Uh, you know, there would be little things. But they are, you know, they're just battle cards. So I'm looking at one here that says Claw, K-L-A-W, Earth. And it's got a painting of a really cool Grim Reaper on it. And he has got Evil 4, so it's Top Trumps, Size 2, Strength 3, Magic 1, Trickery 5, Weapons 2, and of a total of 17. And that is, that is all under the header of Megatron Power. <laughs> So whoever was writing this thought, oh, I'll just come up with a random cool-sounding word. And what they came up with was Megatron. All right. In 1993. Uh, you've been beaten to it, mate. 
Um, <laughs> just yeah, a bit. just a bit. And here's a card of Shumi and Shumi, the two little guys. They're they're Earth type. Um, but this. It just went on and, you know, you just got the next issue and here's the one where he's up against a giant spider and here's the one where he's up against a, some other thing. And then they started, to, as do all these part works, they started to become harder to find mm. as the news agents stopped stocking them because nobody was buying them. And But I was into it. I wanted to know what happened next. I liked the idea of collecting the whole story, which I didn't do. I probably ended up with, like, ten issues max altogether. And... um and then one day, <clears throat> we went back to the newsagent, and I, and I found a copy of the Ancestral Trails, you know, and it was wrong. It had changed from the, you know, the everything had changed. The logo had changed from this sort of um, old script-looking font. Oh, like, imagine Nightmare. Everything in it kind of mm. looked a bit like Nightmare. In fact, the evil one helmet was a bit reminiscent of that sort of thing, of Nightmare, but also of the... Of the bad guy from um, Black Cauldron, that sort of that sort of mm. character, um, but now it looked like space, and the main guy wasn't you know he wasn't carrying around a, a cape and a sword. Now he had a lightsaber or something, and the you know the logo was all written in neon lights, and it was all futuristic and stuff. And I like, oh sweet, that's really cool. So I got that, and I and, but but I couldn't, I didn't know what had been going on, so I couldn't keep up with it. I wasn't reading it, and so I. I, I slipped away from it again. Um, but uh, the thing that was so good about it, though, was the interactivity, the fact that it came in this folder, the paintings, the cards, the hunting for things on every page. And then you got to the end and there were all these things to do, like, did you spot this? Find this? Go back and work this out? Yeah, it was really cool. And that, hey, I don't know if that counts as a part works, but it sort of does a bit. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I kind of I kind of remember seeing it in the news agents. Um, all right. I think I just walked past it because, like you say, um, I probably just took the wrong impression of what it actually was. Yeah. And hearing all that kind of makes me feel bad because it sounds amazing. Yeah. And I, I think it was something I probably would have really enjoyed. It, it was, was quite funny amazing. you should say that, Jason, because I was having a conversation with my wife before we started recording. And uh, I mentioned that the subject was like comic books and part works. Uh-huh. And... Uh, this is a story that I just I have to tell people because it's just hilarious. When she was a kid, there was this part work called something about um, uh, gnomes or something like that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, wisdom of the gnomes. It came with Wis- the, you the, know, the, you the, know the, it. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna when you said this, when and you told us about this, I'm uh, gonna tell you something about that. Go on. She, <laughs> when she was a kid, she thought it was gonna be like. A fantasy type thing, you know, about mm. dwarves and gnomes and yeah. the kind of the whole Nordic fascination with like, you know, gnomes and dwarves that like live in forests and caves and stuff. Yeah. So she got her mum to subscribe to it. Issue one came along and she thought, Oh, maybe maybe this issue's about gardening. Mm. <laughs> and then issue two and three, it was about gardening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she told me the story and I lost my shit and I was I was in the kitchen. I was like, This this has to be told. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, she, she she said she, she remembers this disappointment when she realised it was a horticultural oh. part work and not a fantasy part How gutting. How gutting. Well, um, let me tell you about that. If it's the thing I'm thinking of, if it is the Wisdom of the Gnomes or the Book of the Gnomes... Is, or it is got. that one. It's got a Snow White on the cover of the first issue. Has it? Well, it might not be then. Because that... Yeah, no, that sounds like a different thing. Because what I'm thinking of does fit a lot of the descriptions that you've just given 
But it wasn't about like, oh, no, like, because that's dwarves, isn't it? Snow White. That's like, oh, here, here is yeah, the whole Yeah, that was the thing when I said to her, when she found it on eBay, and I was like, but that's oh. dwarves. That's an entirely different thing. Yeah. And she found an issue on eBay or a Google image search, and it did have Snow White and the Seven Dwarves on the cover. Huh. I wonder what that was then. Because so, so it's probably just not. The, what I was thinking of, which is a part work, so hey, why don't I just tell you about it? is The Wisdom of the Gnomes, and that was a tie-in with a cartoon series about gnomes, which itself was based on this old book. In, yeah, and David, you've heard of David the Gnome, surely? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he was one of the gnomes. David the Gnome oh, okay. and Wisdom of the Gnomes, was a, there were two different series that both spun off from this book. Which well, is I like, had I think, no idea they were related. Mm, yeah, well, you would have done if you'd have put them on. They're yeah. exactly the same as <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Um, but they are... Um, I don't know what country in Europe made this both of those cartoons, but I think the book was German, um, and it was maybe it was an Austrian cartoon, maybe it was an Austrian book. Anyway, and it's just this book that somebody wrote ages ago, and it's a classic. You still get it now. I haven't got it, but I really want it. Um, and it is about like here's the here's what the life of gnomes is like. Here's how they live. Here's all the details of their lives. And so then they made these two cartoon series, one about just this gnome whose job it is, David the Gnome, his job is, I think, just to go around doing nature stuff. And you know, it was like a bit, you know, this was around the time of your Captain Planets and things like mm. that. So this was a, a bit conservationist. And then Wisdom of the Gnomes was about a gnome judge who came up against all of these issues where like uh, probably uh, probably somebody was doing something an analogous to human pollution and he had to put a stop to it but i can't actually remember but it's that sort of thing and then they yeah they started bringing out this part work where they took the book of the gnomes and they released it as the book of the gnomes and it was cut up into loads of little hardbacks that each came you know one per issue and you put them together on your shelf and it would say the book of the gnomes and the con and I really wanted it, and it came also with little figures of the characters from the from the show, and I I really really wanted this, and I never got it. I think I might have had two of them or something, and they came the the way that they did it was it wasn't just the book cut up, it was it, it, I don't even know if it had any of the contents of the book. I think it did. I think it had a couple of pages, but mostly it was about okay. Here's how here's how the gnomes do the gardening and so you'd have this little hardback book about how to do the gardening and it was about these these gnomes but it was tied in with this cartoon so it wasn't just about gardening and i don't think it had a snow white on the cover i think it had uh, this maybe this was a different uh tie-in comic with that i bet this uh, it might have been actually i remember there being one thing where i had an, an unfoldable um uh, sorry what do i mean like a a four-page fold-out in the middle of some comic or something where you would collect the big white puffy round stickers and stick them in the right places yeah. on this thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so that might have just been a, a comic. It, the, but the Book of the Gnomes thing was the part works that I really wanted. Um, and here's what I was saying that I was going to tell you about it. Was that... Um, so last year, um, we went on holiday, me and my family, to... Um, Oh, where is it? Town in the UK that has two different ways of pronouncing it. And even the locals pronounce it both different ways, depending on which side of the river they live on. Not Shropshire. Mm. I think it starts with an S. Well, anyway, the, it might not even start with an S. But anyway, there's this <laughs> town in the in the UK, in England somewhere that we went to. Was it in England? Could have been in Wales. <laughs> and um, 
there was a uh, a little boat tour that you could go on, a little canal boat, uh, and you would just go up and down the, the canal or river or whatever it was. And then when you got back, it would stop, uh, same place you got on, but it was just across from this, um, a restaurant that's sort of like an American-type Tex-Mex type place. So you're going to get burgers and chips with all sorts of things on them and ribs and things. And, um, and we went there to eat, and I went into the loo there, and they had, on the way into the loo, um, a stocked bookshelf. And I'm like, wow, that is... There's no secret about what we're supposed to do with these books, is there? Um, the, it's very clear what these are for. And I had a little look. I was like, okay, all right, what do you got? What do you got for me? And they had flipping loads of episodes of the Book of the Gnomes. Loads that I've never seen any. And they had loads, like about 20 of them or something they're flipping loads i thought when i when i first saw it on the shelf i was like is that a complete collection and it wasn't but it was loads mm. and i really wanted to just be like listen can i have these <laughs> can i just have these because you don't care what is on this shelf do you no. want uh, i'll come back with other books do you want these that's, that's one of those lovely stories of a collector who's been looking for the same the, this one thing for decades and goes into a random pub and there it is <laughs> oh mate let me tell you that's, a story like that that's great let me tell you a story like that this is not relevant you may cut this out of the episode if you want <laughs> do you remember the maid marion books <laughs> yes oh yes vaguely yeah, yeah. they were uh brilliant comics uh we'd call them comics or we'd call them graphic novels today both of those titles are completely wrong they were books but they were comics and they were by paul kemick a brilliant like they are it's made marion and her merry men if you don't know the 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 sitcom the cbbc sitcom by tony robinson who was also in it blah 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 blah, about made marion and it was a reimagining of robin hood and these books came out to tie in with it which were just adaptations of episodes in comic form and they couldn't have been better than there, there was absolutely no way they could have possible there was no way the tv series could have been better and there was no way that the comics the tie-in books could have been better either and we oh we whenever a new one whenever there was a birthday or a christmas or whatever either me or my dad would have one of these and we built up our collection except rabies in love that was the only one. Rabies was one of the characters. It, one of the Merry Men was called Rabies. And there was this... Uh, uh, there was this that was a big actor, wasn't it, who played that character? Yeah. It was the guy... Oh, Reddish he was, he hair. Was, he was from uh, Brushstrokes, I believe. That was it, yeah. I, I, just, know, I just know him from Maid Marion. Yeah. Um, he's dead now. He died recently and under unfortunate circumstances, actually. It's, it's actually really sad. Like, I think it was that he, he ended up getting like put in a home that was mistreating him or something i don't know or that may be alleged and isn't true (laughs) so nobody tell us off for saying that but that you can look that up but anyway answers on a postcard maybe um but that was his anyway that was what he claimed and i think is someone was claiming that no they weren't and he was just you know he was addled because he was old so it was one of those things who knows anyway but um he in an episode falls in love with fergie the Fergie from the royal family, that Fergie, but it was but but, but a joke version, because uh, there was a lot of odd pop culture references in Maid Marian. Tony was just he was they just didn't having his own date fun. Very well, what a sound of things. <laughs> and um, so <coughs> that was the book that I didn't have, right? And um, one day 
in my adult life. Ten years ago, maybe, I was with my family on another week in a town somewhere in the UK. We do one every year. And this was, I believe, Hey on Why. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case. Stuart Jip recently told me that it was when I described the town to him. Uh, and I think Hey on Why is what he said. Otherwise, the name simply wouldn't be in my head. But for anyone who, like Stuart, knows these sorts of things, the thing about this town is that it's a bookshop town. Almost to the point where it is literally a town of bookshop. To, so I remember walking down cobbled streets and there were heaps of books just outside, just piled up against shops and stuff. That That's the kind of town that it is. Um, and, you know, did, you and, say, and, did you say why or why? Why, W-Y-E, why? There's a small village town not so far out of Faversham called Y that I used to go to a fair bit with friends. Well, I guess this would be a river Y, would it, if it has a, something mm. on it? Yeah, it might be, yeah. 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 Didn't think um, about that, sorry. <laughs> well, it's in Wales, so if you're not in Wales, it's not <laughs> Oh, no one in it. Yeah, no, uh, oh no, yeah, here we go, visiting a bookshop town. We visited Hay on Y, a town with 20 bookshops, so yeah. So, um... And and sure enough, you know, my mum had explained to me that this is going to be like this and there's bookshops all over this flipping town. And yeah, sure enough, we get there and we're in this <laughs> random little place. And, you know, a scarce, there's no foot traffic on this road, but there are two, three visible bookshops just within eyeshot with books all outside them heaped up everywhere. It was amazing. And there was it's the sort of town where you can be at the at the corner of two like no what do i mean you can be standing at the end of two roads that go off in the same direction parallel to each other but one's high up and one's low down and there's houses between that you have to go up funny stairs to get to it's that sort of layout mm. of town it's flipping i love those and um i think i'm exaggerating but anyway um <laughs> so we were like oh okay well and i'm like oh well what i wonder what i'll find here because it's all second hand stuff do i is there anything i actually want second hand and as we're walking along, my mind just goes to this, like, well, I never got that one missing Maid Marian book. Like, <laughs> that would be, wouldn't that be interesting if I could find this here? And we walk into bookshop number one, and not only do they have Rabies in Love, but that is the only Maid Marian book they have, and it's the only one I see in the entire town all day. That's nice. I don't know how that happened, but I am... <laughs> 80% of the way to believing that I went into a magic shop. Like a proper <laughs> magic shop that that manifested the thing I wanted. And had wanted for a couple of decades or however long it had been. Like, it's I can't believe it. So now I've got the complete collection. Oh, that's amazing. See, I, I often do that with charity shops and, yeah. and flea markets because... I need to go to more of that stuff. Yeah, like it's not like where your mum would go to charity shop and look at dresses and shoes and shit. Like, right. Uh, and it's 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 more long lines of like I want to go into one charity shop and find a first edition copy of Jurassic Park hardback with white cover, dust oh. sheet with oh. the T Rex silhouette. Right. You can find them on eBay, scalpers. You're like, oh, yeah. one day I want to walk into a bookshop and it's going to be there. Yeah. And I do the same with, with things I've had as a kid that I would like now yeah. like, as a memory or, or yeah. things I never had. And you see people post on internet discussion boards or, yeah. or Twitter and you're like, you found all of that in a charity shop for 15 quid. Yeah. And you're and like, that never, that happens, never to happens to me. No, no never. never. This guy found um, 
But that's because we're not going to stuff. That's because we're not going to the hay on why of charity shops. No. And me, of all people, on the Isle of Wight, it's just like, there's nothing oh. here but charity shops. Oh. I can't, there's nothing turns up in them. Yeah, but that's it's, because on the Isle of Wight, there's a limited pool yeah. of objects. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're just cycling around the different yeah. charity shops. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> it's just nuts, because like, was it someone put up, he, he found like a horde of like, unopened model kits, but it wasn't, what was it? It was like Space 1999 from wow. the 70s or some wow. some claptrap like that. And <laughs> someone replied and said, do you realise what you just found? And then he linked him yeah. to an eBay listing for a similar kit. Just uh, one kit of one of the Eagles from, I'm sure Space 1999. Yeah. Just one kit on eBay was selling for like 70 to 100 quid. Uh, because they're vintage and they're rare. And this yeah. guy found like a whole box of them. Wow. In a charity shop, and you're like, that never happens to me. No, never. I'd we, we love to get, wander in and find something like that. But we got to get to some more charity because I don't even do it. I don't look because I do. You know, when I go past the charity shop, I look at it, and it's like, well, there's a load of, like you said, a load of old dresses. Yeah. And then, and then I'll I'll wander in and flip through the records, but there's never anything I'm even no. vaguely interested in. No. I need no. to pay more attention. I need to go in and more. Yeah, because it must there. be there. I'm, uh, my, first, my first direction is to the video games, and it's always FIFA. Yeah. Your, your first one is to the video games? Uh, it's my first section in a charity shop. That's ah, right. That's where I go straight first for right. the, to find the video games, because I always see on Twitter, oh, look what I found on in yeah. the charity shop for 50p and yeah. everything else. It's and I go, right. It's a Dragoon this, Saga for 20p or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is my, <laughs> this is yeah. my turn now. I'm going to walk into this charity shop, yeah. and I'm, I'm going to find... I'm going to find something for like a quid that's worth 200 quid, some kind of like Castlevania game or something. Yeah, you say that, Jason, but I I did that about 10 years ago or so. No, not that long ago. And um, it was a copy of From Russia With Love on the Xbox. And I found it, I can't remember, what, was it a CEX store or something like that? And it was like 199 I was like, that'll play on a 360 and it said 360 compatible I looked it up and I bought it got it home and it, it never worked oh, it just was not compatible and I updated the Xbox 360 everything still on my shelf maybe that <laughs> was never, the problem never played Perhaps it they patched it out that's, that's the, that was my first thing because when I looked it up and everyone was saying oh yeah it's, it's, it's compatible it yeah. works fine and it never did yeah. but similar story isn't it it's like, oh it you finally rotters. find it you never played it you still can't <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a really sad story. I'm so sorry, mate. Yeah. I had that I've game on plen- the game. I've, I've seen plenty of people play it. But... Yeah, I had that game on the GameCube. It was alright. It was one of those rites of passage, wasn't it? Where a Bond fan and Sean Connery comes back to do the voice in a video game. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. I don't own an Xbox. I'm too poor. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh. Brilliant. Such is life. Yeah. Such <laughs> is <indeed>. life. <laughs> Um, brilliant. Um, well, I think I think that's all the I think that's all the time we got for um, for this show. Unless there's anything else anyone wants to bring up, I'm good. Yeah, I think we've yeah. covered a lot. Yeah, pretty actually more than I thought we would. <laughs> I tend whenever whenever I guest on a podcast, it tends to end up usually about an hour longer than it normally is because I go on and on. But it's it's been an absolute blast having you on, Dave. And, uh, yeah, I mean I've smiled. Uh, the entire time that we've been uh, <laughs> recording, and uh, yeah, the time's just flown by. So, um, 
Because uh, no, what you can't see on Sonic the Comic the podcast is we're actually just scowling at each other the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and spending some time, spending your evening with us. Um, mm-hmm. Been an absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, thank it's you. It's all right. I've got another evening tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. no problem. Just tell the good people where, where they can find your work, mate. Right. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm Demon Tomato Dave on Twitter, yeah. and that's where you'll yeah that's where I sp- I sit most of the day, spending most of my time. So you'll see me post everything else I do there. But uh, in terms of things that I make that you could go and have a look at right now, um, do hop to my YouTube channel, which is Demon Tomato Dave. There's at least one video there that you'll be interested in uh, if you listen to this, which is the. Uh, Dave's first game video. That's the one I mentioned earlier, where I make I tell you I tell people what it felt like to be a kid in in the thrall of a ZX Spectrum. <laughs> uh, it's called Dave's first game, and I've pinned it. You'll find it. Um, there's a couple of other things on there you might be interested in, and um, uh, but uh, I've got two podcasts. I've got Sonic the Comic the podcast, and you can find that by just looking for that. And then the other one I've got is called Serious Disney, which I do with another friend of mine called Jahan Ranasing, who is clever at talking about films and so what we've set out to do together is um we uh, have been re-evaluating or well not not re-evaluating because it's the first time we saw most of them but evaluating those awful disney live action remakes they've been doing um for the last several years well we thought well, that we didn't want to approach them in a kind of like oh look at this rubbish like dunking way and instead, we thought we'd actually give them the benefit of the doubt and give them the time and treat them as films and, you know, review them on, on in, in that way. And so there actually are a couple that we think are quite good. And then when we hit the ones that aren't good, we do not hold back. I'm particularly fond of our two-part Beauty and the Beast remake special that we released last Christmas, which is just quite involved and because we know a lot about the old films and so we go into some detail about how this connects to that and that connects to this and what bits came from the broadway version and this and that and uh, yeah i think and also we're just generally very angry about that so that might entertain some people but we've done we did six episodes just about frozen um we do and and we do silly things as well and there's a extensive funny i shrunk the kids episode so um yeah, I think you'll quite enjoy that. That's called Serious Disney's D-I-S-N-E-S-S, and Sonic the Comic the Podcast, and Demon Tomato Dave on YouTube and Twitter. And that, that is where you will find me. I'm stalling because I feel as if I've forgotten something. <laughs> uh, never mind. You'll find it there, whatever it is. You'll find it on my Twitter or wherever. I, um, I, only, I did discover your Serious Disney's podcast um, oh. only today. Oh. Um, and I w- and I listened to the the Lion King episode that you did. Oh yes. And um, actually, it was it was really interesting because I didn't really when I saw the film, I, yeah. I I guess I didn't really look at the look at it in the way in which you guys looked at it in. Right. Um, but it was it was fascinating to to look at it in the way that you did with like how the lions behave in like real life and how they did that. Oh film. yes, yes. We have a we have something of a lions expert on that episode who's yeah. just just really into lions and tells us about yes, their how how their behave how their subtle acting actually does line up with what real lions do and so on. Yeah, yes. It is. It's an interesting film. It's not an enjoyable film. No, um, but it's a very interesting one. Yeah, um, it made me appreciate um, the work that they did mm. put into that film more so than I did beforehand. Yeah, 
So it's it's really quite um, a good podcast to listen to 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 bring that more appreciation out of these these live action films that they're That's doing. That's the hope. The hope is that we're the hope is that we're interesting. What we didn't expect was that we'd be funny, but I think we are. There's yeah. there's quite a lot of quite funny episodes of serious business. Yeah, it's mm. a it's a good laugh. It's a good podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely uh, highly recommend um, anyone going out there and, and finding it um, and, and giving it a go. It's, it's mm. really interesting. So. Cheers. Um, well, next time we finally hit the movies of 1996. So look out for that in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you to everyone listening. You are all wonderful people for doing so. And please um, come and visit the wolfypod.com website. Um, I'll, I'll support a Tristan put a lot of work into that and uh, we're all quite proud of it so go and check that out indeed um, you can also hear me and Rich talk video games with Andrew and Steve on the Dreamcast Years podcast and I can also be found over at the Cross Players you can find those on Twitter at Dreamcast Years and at the Cross Players um, you'll also find a link tree link in the show notes which c- contains all our links including our website Twitter handles and more um, any final words Rich or Chris no, I'm good. No, yeah. I don't think I've got anything to add. No. Any final words, Just Dave, been... before, we, before we leave? Don't think so. Excellent. Well, Apart from what's your favourite off-brand Lidl product? Oh, God, <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> yes. How could, how could I forget? How could we forget? So... Come on, Dave. Come on, Dave. What's your favourite Lidl off-brand I don't know because Product. I've never been to a little. No. Oh, <laughs> it's never happened. I've mean, you I never keep... cracked open a nice cocaine of Professor Peppy. I've never been. I keep meaning to because there's one that's just nearby and I'm like, I'll go to that little. But it's just far away enough that I would have to drive to it and I don't know the way really. So no, I've never been. Well, we look forward to the podcast when you finally do. When I finally, yes. Yes. I'll have to start a new (laughs) little exclusive podcast because I'll be so excited. I've been to to one Ikea once, but I've never been to a little. (laughs) <laughs> Just as bad as each other. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, okay, well, my name's B. Jason, and you've been listening to What's Wrong with Wolfie, a 90s podcast to the max. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. What's wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking.